Well, you know, sometimes Jesus made people mad. I mean, you know, you think Jesus made people mad. Yeah, he made people mad when he dealt with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In fact, he made people mad when he went to his hometown. He went to his hometown, and he went in there, and they handed him some scripture, and he read the scripture. And, and then he basically said to them, today this scripture is fulfilled. In your, and he basically saying, I'm fulfilling the scripture. And then he made this idea, and he said there were many widows in Israel's time than the time of Elijah, but he only went to a widow at Zarephath. And he said there were many lepers in the time of, of Elisha, but he only went to a guy named Naaman. And that made them all mad because he's basically saying God said there are a lot of people everywhere, but God went and did something special with two Gentiles rather than two Jews. And when, when we talked about it, remember when we saw the life of Elijah, we saw the widow at Zarephath. And now as we see the life of Elisha, we're going to see the leper. His name is Naaman. Who is this guy? What is he? What's going on? And it's going to take us a several weeks just because I didn't want to rush right through it. There's so much there. Let me give you the outline for the whole passage. We won't get the whole thing today, but we see Naaman seeks Elisha, and we're going to see why, what happens there. He comes to Elisha, and he's healed, and he brings gifts. He wants to bring gifts back to Elisha, and then we see at the end this guy named Gehazi. Now, we've been saying that Gehazi was not everything that he looks like. He's a, he's a servant of Elisha, but I've told you to watch him because we've seen several things that he did that we just think that wasn't exactly the way to do it. What we're going to see in this passage is lying and his greed, and we'll see how all that fits together. Well, there's so much. So let's start, and let's just do this. Naaman seeks Elisha, and let me give you, we get some background. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Now, Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master, highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now, Naaman, when we find out about him, Naaman is the captain of the army. He's the commander. I mean, he's a great leader. Notice what this says about him. A great man, had respect, was a valiant warrior. So when you talk about Naaman, Naaman was a a great fighter and a great leader, but there's a problem. And the problem is this. He's the king of, of Aram, which is, it doesn't tell us who it is right now, but it's a guy by the name of Ben-Hadad. But Naaman was a leper. Now, when you talk about leprosy, when you look in the Bible, we know what leprosy is today, and that's that disease, and it backs people up and messes their everything up, and they can't feel things, and their skin falls off. I mean, it's just a horrible, horrible, horrible disease. Everything in the Bible called leprosy doesn't mean it's exactly that kind of disease. Leprosy in the Old Testament was, uh, and even in the New Testament, was skin disease. And sometimes they were worse than others. And sometimes it was the leprosy that we read about, and sometimes, and you can't always tell what it is. It says he was a leper. Now, obviously, he wasn't, he didn't have the leprosy in the sense that it stopped him from fighting, stopped him being a soldier, stopped him being a commander. So he had some kind of skin disease, but whatever it was, it was not good at all, and he was a leper. And so what, uh, and, and he, he may have had leprosy, but they, they used the word leper, and it may have been other, some kind of other skin disease, but it may have been the leprosy. But usually when people get leprosy, as time goes by, uh, they begin to lose feeling in their hands, their fingers, their things, and their feet, they can't stand up, they can't, you know. So if he had leprosy, leprosy, he, he's, not, he's, he's not that far along yet. But it's not good because everybody knows it. So here's what happens. It says, now the Armenians had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. Now what we find is that at, during some of the battles, they'd gone out and they captured a, a young girl and she became a servant of Naaman's wife. Now, Naaman, of course, is married, and he's a, a great leader, and he's got servants. And one of the servants for his wife 
was a little Jewish girl. Okay, that's all it basically tells us. Look what it says. She said to her mistress, she said, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Now this little girl says, and she tells her mistress, she tells, the Jewish girl tells her mistress, you know what I wish? Now, I mean, she's not saying, I want to go home. She says, you know, I'm here and, and I'm serving you and I know who my master is, the master's name. And I wish he knew about, I wish he could get with the prophet. Notice how she says it. I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Well, the prophet is Elisha. Everybody knows who he is. Remember, he's a prophet, and uh, he, he'd taken over after Elijah. And, and she says he would cure him of leprosy. I mean, she says that he's done miracles. I mean, she knows about it. Everybody knows about it. In fact, remember, we talked about it, that he's become famous for his miracles. Now, he's not famous in the same way as Elijah, because Elijah did all these things like call down fire and all that kind of things. He does these quieter type things, but he's all known about it. And so she says, I wish that my master were with the prophet. I wish he could go to the prophet who's in in Samaria, that's northern Israel, of course, and that, that he would cure him. And so she tells her mistress, and apparently she goes to her husband and says, hey, this little Jewish girl over here, she says that there's a prophet in Israel, not very far from here, because Aram is in the northern part, and in, in, in a little north of Israel, it's Syria part, part area, and she says, if you could go there and get this prophet, he could cure you of the leprosy. Now, if you had to remember that at this stage, Israel, northern kingdom, and Aram, they're enemies. In fact, they fight some. And that's probably how the little girl got captured. They probably were fighting against some of the Israelis and caught one of these little girls and just took her with them. So they're not on, on great terms. But apparently maybe there's a lull in the action because look what happens. So uh, then, uh, then Naaman went in and told his master, and his master's the king, and said, thus and thus spoke this girl who's from the land of Israel. He went in and said, hey, I, I want you to know that, uh, uh, in fact, Naaman goes in to tell his master, that's the king, ben Hadad. He says, there's this Jewish girl here that says there's a prophet, and the prophet is in Israel, and she said he could cure the leprosy. You think there's anything we can do about that? I mean, what would you do? You'd go to the, you'd go to the king, you're, you're his commander, you're one of the heroes, you're the valiant warrior, and you go into him and say, hey, I got a, I got a question. I got a, there, this little girl says there's a guy over there that could heal the leprosy. What, what do you think? Can we maybe do something about that? So look what the king does. Then the king of Aram said, okay, go now. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothes. <laughs> That's a lot of stuff. He says, hey, here's what I'll do. I'll write a letter and I'll send a whole bunch of gifts and I'll send them to the king of Israel and he'll take care of this for me. Because one king, to, you know, as one king to the other, I'll tell him, hey, we got a problem. Can your, can your prophet or whatever take care of my guy? So here's what he does. He, he, he decided to send a letter to the king of Israel, and he sent all these gifts. And by the way, I mean, if you look at that, I mean, there, there's 10 talents of silver. That's a lot. And 6,000 shekels of gold. That's 6,000 whatever it is of gold. That's a lot. And 10 changes of clothes. That's a lot. You know, I mean, that's a lot of clothes in that day and time. I mean, people didn't wear clothes like we do. I mean, they, they, they might have two changes, maybe three at the most. And this is just 10 at one time. Of course, if you're the king, you're saying, you know, I don't want to send another king something that's not, 
I don't want to send them that shabby stuff. I'm going to send them good stuff. I'm going to send them gold. I'm going to send them silver. And I'm going to send them a lot of clothes. And so it looks like that's the plan, and it takes it. And uh, and and probably uh, the best you can tell, maybe the, uh, the you know himself, the the pro- the soldier is going to take the stuff himself. Naaman's going to probably take it himself. The best we can understand, the king of Israel at this time, it doesn't even mention. It's really funny. It never names the king in this passage. It never names the king of Aram. It doesn't say his men Hadad, and it never names the king of Israel. And it's, we think it's Jehoram. That's who it is. So we don't really know. And so here's what happens. So they sent the letter. Look at verse. It said, he says, now I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. And he, and, he, and he departed and he took it. So he takes it. And look what happens. He brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, and now as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you that you may cure him of leprosy. Now, if you're the king of Israel and you get a letter from the king of Aram and it says, I got you 10, pair, 10 things of clothes. I got you a bunch of silver, a bunch of gold. And I brought my servant Naaman so that you, notice the letter, that you may cure him of leprosy. Well, who's going to cure him of leprosy? It's not going to be the king of Israel, right? Who's it going to be? It's going to be Elisha. Well, look what happened. So there may be some, some misunderstanding. Maybe the king of Aram d- didn't understand about the prophet. Maybe, or maybe he just thought, I'll just tell the king. Or Jehoram doesn't understand. He thinks the king wants Jehoram to heal Naaman. I mean, he's, get, he's confused. He's saying, wait, this guy, they brought this guy to me to heal him? I can't heal him. In fact, looked at the next verse. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God? to kill and to make alive, that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of leprosy? But consider how, and see how, consider now, and see how he's seeking a quarrel against me. Now, as, as Jehoram is, Jehoram, if you look at his life history, Jehoram was not a very good king at all, and he was kind of an evil man, and he tend to look at things from the negative view. <laughs> so he gets this letter with all his gifts, and he says, so this guy thinks I'm going to heal him? He said, am I God to kill and to make alive? Can I be the one to heal him? And he actually says, you know what this guy's trying to do? The king of Aram is trying to make me look bad so they can start a war and come after us. That's the plan. They're going to come fight us. Look how he says it at the end. But consider now and see how he's seeking a quarrel against me. He's going to get in a fuss with me, and that'll give him an opportunity to come fight. Well, what happens then? Well, as we look at the next part, Naaman is coming, comes to Elisha. So here's what happened. Elisha hears about it. Watch the next verse. It happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. Now, when the king of Israel tears his clothes, you remember in those days, we would talk about it over and over. Every time somebody tears their clothes, it's an idea. They would take like the top part and they would rip it like that. And of course, he's going to need those 10 things now that he's torn his clothes. But he tears his clothes and, and that's showing extreme anger or extreme sorrow or even fear. And so he tears his clothes saying, what am I supposed to do about this? There's no way I can cure this guy. Well, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, then he sent word to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. He basically says, why are you getting all upset? Why are you so upset? Tell him to come see me. I'm the prophet. I can do the healing. He says, all will know that there is a prophet in Israel. He says, he'll know. He'll know that I'm from the real God. Let me tell you something. We're not going to see it this morning. But what happens to Naaman when all this happens to him? 
What will he think about the God of Israel? Because he knows Elisha represents the God of Israel. He represents another God. In fact, his God is, is uh, called something like, let me, let me see if I can uh, think of his name. It, it's it's, it's Rimen. Rimen Baal, I think, is the name. Sometimes it's shortened to Rimen, sometimes it's Rimen Baal. That's, that's the God of Aram. What's going to happen when he comes and the God of Israel heals him? What will he do? Elisha says, tell him to come because I want him to know that there is a prophet in Israel. There is a prophet of God. You know what Elisha says? I represent God. And the thing about it is we represent the true God. When we walk out these doors, a lot of times we don't even think about it this way. We, we gather, at, you know, on worship and we have a great time and we sing and we pray and we give and we study and we have a great time. Then we leave. And we don't always think that we've come here Worship and training, and we scatter out to represent the living God in our community. And sometimes we don't even think that way. And what Elisha is saying, let him know that there's a true prophet, that I represent the real God, the true God. And when we go out these doors, we need to let, let people know, who do we represent? We represent the true... Listen, we're not into religion, right? This Religion is man trying to do something to get to God. We're not into religion, we're into true Christianity. True Christianity is God so loved the world, he gave his son. It's not what we do. We believe in him and we have eternal life. So you got to rec recognize that we're not into religion. The world looks at us and they think they're religious. We're not religious at all. True religion is man trying to please God by doing something. We have true Christianity, which is God-pleasing God. So we need to realize there that uh, in this fallen world, we go out, we are the representatives of the living God. Now, let's see what happens. Watch. So Naaman came with this. They get the word to Naaman, and Naaman says, okay, where, where does this guy live? And they told him where Elisha lives, and so he shows up. Watch. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of Elisha. Now, Naaman's coming. Here he comes. Naaman will come to Elisha's house to see him. Now, if you're Naaman, think about this. What, what do you expect? You are a general you're the commander of an army. You're a valiant leader. You're everything. You're rich. You're everything. And you come to this, this little prophet's house, right? And you know that. So what do you expect? He's pulled up. What does he come with? Horses, chariots. I mean, he's got, you know, it's, it's a big noise is coming. And he says, okay, I'll tell, tell him I'm here. And he expects Elisha to come out and do something great. He expects Elisha to come out and go, wow. I'm glad you're here. I like your chariots. I like it. Okay, and let me, let me tell you what we're going to do. Okay, let me tell you what we're going to do. Here's what I want you to do to be healed. He's expecting something really big. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Now watch. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go wash in the Jordan River seven times and your flesh will be forward to you and you'll be clean. Elisha, Naaman came with his horses, chariots. He's out at the doorway. Elisha didn't even go out, but sends his servant Gehazi. He said, uh, go, go tell him that just go wash in the Jordan seven times. He didn't even come out. The prophet of God does not come out to meet the commander of the army of Aram. I mean, that, if you're the army of Aram and you're the commander, you say, where's the guy? Oh, he's, some guy comes out and says, hey, I just wanted to tell you. He said, just go dip in the Jordan seven times. You'll be fine. Thank, thanks for coming. You know what? I mean, that's what he does. And, and so Elisha doesn't even go out, and he just tells him. He says, just go wash in the Jordan River seven times, and you'll be healed. 
and you'll be healed. And this is the message from God. God will heal you. But what should, what should Naaman do? Wow, well, thank you. I'll go do it right this second. That's not what you're going to say. In fact, he's going to be a little bit mad. He's going to say, where's the guy? Who are you? I, well, I'm his servant. I don't want to see a servant. I want to see him. What do you mean? What do you mean? Go Jordan River? We got a lot better rivers than the Jordan River. If I was going to go dip in the water, it wouldn't be the Jordan River. I can tell you that right now. And wh- why are you coming to me? Where is the guy? Is he not going to come out and see me? Look what it says. But Naaman was furious, verse 11, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he'll surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place. I mean, he says, I thought he'd come out and he'd go, Oh, God, and he'd wave his hand big and stuff like that. And then what happened? That's what I thought was going to happen. He didn't even come out. He's furious. He's angry. Why? Well, because Elisha didn't even come out to greet him. And he he thought he was going to do something big, something great. Now, if it had been Elijah, he'd have called down fire and just burned it off of him, right? That's what Elijah would have done. Elisha just says, now, go dip seven times. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. And so he's mad. And, and, you know, and when you think about it, there's pride and wrong expectations. And sometimes our pride gets in the way. And sometimes we expect in other things as well. We say, well, why didn't that happen? Well, that should have been, you know, I don't know why that didn't happen that way. You never know. Sometimes God does things different than we want him to do or think that he should do. Notice what he says. Uh, he says, he's listening a couple of the rivers, or Abana and Fahar, the rivers of Damascus. Aren't they better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be cleaned? So he turned away and went away in rage. He says, well, we have better rivers than this. I mean, if I was going to wash... I would have washed in our rivers, not your river. I don't think the Jordan River is that great a river. In fact, by the way, Jordan River is not very big. I mean, it's not a very big river. And, and, and so he's basically saying, this is nothing. And he went away how? How did he go away? In rage. He's really mad. You know, sometimes we want God to do something the way we want him to do it. And he's got a different way to do it. And he's got a better way of doing it. And we get mad because God doesn't do it the way we think it ought to be done. God, why don't you do that? God, you're not working this out. God says, I'm working it out. I'm just working it out different. And we go, but I don't like it. And Naaman says, I don't like it. I wanted you to heal me. I thought you'd come out, wave real big, do something, call on you, God. I'd be healed. You tell me to go get into the Jordan River and I could do The Jordan River's nothing. There's nothing. But look at verse 13. His servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? Now this guy is pretty sharp, and I want you to notice something. What does he call his master? What? My, my father. Think about this. He's naming, but he calls him his father. And I think there's a closeness here that is unusual. I think he doesn't just see himself as Naaman's uh, servant. He sees Naaman almost as if he's his father. And he, and he says, oh, l- listen, the servant said, if the prophet had told you to do some big thing, would you have done it? Well, of course, the answer is, yeah. I, oh, yeah, I would have. I well, how much more if he just tells you to do something Little. See, sometimes those are close to us see things we can't see. If he'd have told you to do some great thing, would you do it? Well, what about a little thing? Would you do that? Well, let me talk to you for a second about salvation. 
the issue of salvation, to have eternal life, to do we something great or do we do something little? Have you ever thought about that? Out there, everybody wants you to do something to have eternal life. Some say, well, it can't be too easy. I mean, it's too easy. It can't be that you just believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. What do we say? Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again. When you believe in him, you have eternal life. You believe that he gives you his promise. His promise is, I give you eternal life. It's faith alone in Christ alone. Some people say that can't be that way. It's too easy. You've got to turn away from your sins. You've got to give your life to Jesus. You've got to be willing to walk down an aisle. It can't be just believing. See, when people start talking about salvation, they, most people can't accept the fact that it's a gift. And it's not what we do. And people want to do something. People say, just tell me what to do. Do I need to walk down the aisle? Do I give my life to Jesus? Do I turn away from my sins? Do I go get baptized? Just tell me what I need to do. And the answer is what? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And we find this over and over and over again, that people add to the gospel message. They always confuse the message. Salvation is a gift by faith alone in Christ alone. Do you do a little thing or a big thing? Technically, we're just saying you don't do anything. You just believe, but we could call that a little thing. Some say what we believe, they call it easy believism. They say, oh, y'all just say believe. Well, that's what the Bible says. In fact, 165 places in the New Testament, it says believe. 98 times in the Gospel of John, it says believe. And we tell people to believe. Some people also call it what we call cheap grace. They say, that's cheap grace. You're just telling people to believe. I said, no, it's not cheap grace. It's free grace. Grace isn't cheap. Grace is free. When God gives you grace, it doesn't cost. It may cost him, but it doesn't cost us. And so easy believism is, is, is uh, listen, if you live in this town for any length of time, there'll be people say to you, oh, so you're Stillwater Bible. You're, you're, you're into easy believism. And you say, what does that mean? You just tell people to believe. And you say, what else are you supposed to do? Well, you've got to repent of your sins. You've got to give your life to Jesus. You've got to walk down an aisle. You've got to make a public profession. You've got to uh, get baptized. You've got to do all these things. Is it something big or something little? What does God want us to do for salvation? Works or faith? Hard, works, easy. (laughs) Faith alone in Christ alone. Well, we'll stop there because we're going to see what's going to happen. We stop at verse 13. We'll take up with verse 14 because if you look at verse 14, he went down and dipped himself. He, he does what God says to him to do. So what does Naaman do? And what? Gehazi. Now, who's Gehazi? Gehazi is the guy that came out and said, uh, go wash in the Jordan seven times. Thanks for coming. But he, he's not coming out. No, no. He's, he's busy. What about this Gehazi guy? We've already seen him a couple of times. He, he didn't do things the way we thought he should probably do them. Well, let me give you some applications real quickly before we break. Let's just remember, we represent the living God. That's who we represent. As Elisha said, they'll know that there's a true prophet in Israel. We could say the same thing. People need to know that there's a real God, and that a real God loves us. His name is Jesus, and he gives us eternal life simply by faith. We're to live our lives representing Jesus to our culture and to our world. The second thing is... We approach God in humility. Now, I hate to say it, but Naaman did not approach Elisha with humility. He, I mean, he's coming there, but he's saying, uh, the guy needs to come out. He's going to do a big deal. You know, it's going to make me look good. Yeah, everybody knows I'm a, I'm a commander, and I'm a valiant warrior. And he doesn't even come out, and he's mad about it. 
And when we approach the living God, we can come boldly to the throne of grace, but it's only because Jesus has already gone before us. Not because we have any right to approach God. The only right we have to approach God is because Jesus Christ has already gone before us. He died for us. He paid for our sin. He rose again. He is the one that's the way, the truth, and the life. And the third thing is, let's understand salvation is a gift. It's not based on works. Don't make salvation something hard. Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid for sin, and offers the gift of what? What does he offer? The gift of what? Eternal life. How? By faith. It's that simple. And so easy believers, it's not easy to believe in somebody that lived 2,000 years ago. We've never even seen him. And cheap grace is not cheap. It's free. It costs God his son, though. It's free to us. But it costs God the Father his only begotten son. So when we think about it, let's don't add works or any kind of thing to the salvation message. It's faith alone in Christ alone for eternal life.